Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those, you're good, John. You can go. He's like waiting. Uh, those who are going a little worship can be dismissed at this time. McKay's bless you. We pray for you. <laughs> Uh, if, you, if you're standing here, I invite you to uh, open your Bibles, apps, bulletin, uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 11, uh, sorry, verses 14 through 21. Um, also, if you're uh, visiting with us uh, this morning, welcome. So glad you're here. Um, hope that Westminster can be a, a warm, uh, worshipful experience for you. Uh, you're kind of catching us kind of towards the beginning of a sermon series we're doing through the Gospel of Luke. Um, and so here we are in Luke chapter 4 this morning. And, uh, you know, I've heard it said that, that every pastor really only has one sermon. Um, that, you know, it, it doesn't mean that we always repeat ourselves, but, you know, we could preach different passages, different topics, use different techniques. And yet, if you listen for it, there's an undercurrent for, of every one. You know, there's this common thread that's found uh, of that one sermon that every pastor apparently has. Uh, Eugene Peterson's son told his dad, he said, you know, Dad, you only have one sermon, one message. And of course, it, you know, when pastors hear that, we're offended because every week we, uh, we're trying to do new things here. But, um, but then after thinking about it, he said that not only did he only have one sermon, but he only ever wrote one book. Uh, John Piper will quickly admit to you that uh, all of his sermons and all of his books essentially are really coming out of just one, one message. And, and y'all have heard it you know, hundreds of times, it's uh, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. He'll, he'll say that if you only have time to read one of His books, just read Desiring God, because all other books, is kind of an outworking of, of that one book. Um, but you know, unfortunately, not every pastor's message or their one sermon that's in them, um, not every one of them are gospel-centered or Christ-exalting. You know, in college, I went to a church where in almost every sermon, the pastor, I don't, and this is sign of the times, this is late 90s, early 2000s, every single, pa- every single sermon, the pastor found a way to warn us of the dangers of, of Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> the, and y'all, y'all have heard that you know, there are pastors whose sermons are politically charged, always kind of find a, a political angle. Uh, there are sermons whose pastors contain graphs and charts and blood moons and timelines about the end times. And then there are pastors whose sermons seem to always be about money and, and how all of our problems stem from how we, why we don't give enough money. Um, and you'll probably saw this week the headlines about one pastor who said that the reason Jesus wasn't returning yet was because we weren't tithing. And if we would tithe more, we could speed up the process and get this on with, right? Um, and, and then another pastor this week made the headlines, was encouraging his church to give more money so he could buy not one jet, but his second jet, um, so that he could avoid being vaccinated. Um, and, and look, so for, I mean, look, I guess the point right now is for, for better or worse, for, you know, good theology or not, every preacher tends to kind of stay in their lane. Um, you know, some are Jesus preachers. Uh, some are political preachers. Some are social justice preachers. And some are like theological teacher preachers. 
And so all this kind of begs the question, um, doesn't it? What kind of preacher was Jesus? It'd be good to know what kind of preacher he was, right? What was his one sermon that no matter what he said, always seemed to be present, you know, the undercurrent of everything he did? Well, this morning we're going to find out, you know, later in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was getting ready to, to leave the area, and all these people come up to Jesus, you, you can't leave Jesus, we want you to stay. But Jesus told them what he was about. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what I've got to do. Uh, to the other towns as well. For I was sent with this purpose. That's, that's it. So Jesus not only came to live the perfect life, to die the perfect death for us, but he also came to tell us something, to tell us the good news of the kingdom of God. Everything he said or did was about this new and better way of life. And so with all that said, let's pray. We'll dive in and see. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would come through your spirit and just open our eyes, open our ears. Uh, may we hear from you now. Thank you. Amen. Luke chapter 4, uh, 14 through 21. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And Jesus began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's God's word. So Luke tells us, you know, last week we were in the temptation in the wilderness. Luke tells us that after 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, Jesus started spreading the news. He's, he's telling everybody what he's about, and he's preaching the message of the kingdom of God. And while he was preaching, we see here verse 16, he came to Nazareth, his hometown, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And I just want to pause here uh, before we get too deep into the sermon, uh, because as Alistair Begg pointed out, what an interesting phrase, uh, as was his custom. I mean, you think about it, like, this is Jesus, the, I mean, the God-man. Um, why, why did Jesus go to church? Like, why did Jesus go to worship? Was it because, you know, he was in his hometown, he wanted to see some of his old friends? No? Was it because, you know, how churches do, they have like a Mother's Day or like the kids will sing or, you know, something like that. Was something like that going on so he came? No. Um, was it because he felt guilty and thought, you know, I, I could use a little religion? No. He went because it was his custom. In, in other words, he went because he went. He went because that's what God created the Sabbath for. And so, y'all, this, this is so important because think about all the excuses that we can come up with for not coming, not coming to worship. Um, we, we, I, and I've heard, I've heard like all of these. Well, I connect with God better in the deer stand. That's kind of this 
thing, you know, that happens with me and God when I'm hunting deer. Um, well, I worship God better alone at home. Um, I stayed up too late watching the game last night, you know. Um, or, you know, I got my pod, which is super offensive to your pastor. I got my podcast pastor. It's like, what is it, me? I mean, who is it? Uh, I got my podcast pastor, and that's all I need, okay? But, but y'all, like, think about it. If anyone had a legit reason to say, you know, like, me and God, we're, we're good. Like, like uh, I don't really need corporate worship. If anything, I'm like, can you imagine all the bad preaching Jesus probably had to sit through? Um, you know, I, if anybody could say, I can worship God by myself, trust me, uh, I'm better, I like, we're good, it would be Jesus. He had perfect communion with God. And, and yet, what do we find Jesus doing? I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Meeting together with other believers. And y'all, so that this little phrase here is God putting his stamp of approval on coming together for corporate worship. And it's what the author of Hebrews tells us. You know, the author of Hebrews tells us, you can neglect a lot of things in life and you'll probably be okay. Uh, but don't neglect to meet together in worship as is the habit of some. He's saying, like, if anything is worthy of a habit, if anything is worthy of a custom, it's this. And I know you may think, because I think this, but I don't always want to go to worship. Uh, wouldn't it be inauthentic for me to, to go somewhere and my heart not really be in it? Isn't that kind of this weird thing? Well, no. Uh, I, no. I, like, look, honestly, I don't always want to be here. Um, but the call to worship is a call to come to God as you are. <laughs> you know, if you're on fire, then great. If your heart is ice cold, come because this is where the gospel fire is. This is where the, the fire of grace is through word and sacrament and community. And, and you know, so many of you, uh, like Jesus, have made it your custom. And so this is just like, thank you. Um, thank you for coming to worship even when you don't want to. <laughs> uh, even when there, there's no bonuses passed out for you being here. Um, you have come because in response to Jesus' love for you on the cross, you have made it your custom to respond in worship. So, thank you. Make it, make it your custom. So Jesus came into the synagogue, and, and like you know it was a packed house, right? I mean, hometown preacher boy preaching his first sermon in his hometown synagogue. He's there. Everybody's probably there. And when it came time for the sermon in the service, he unrolled the scroll to Isaiah 61, a well-known passage about the coming Messiah. And Jesus read the words, and when he'd finished, he rolled the scroll back up, handed it to the attendant, sat down, and talked about the ultimate mic drop. He said, that prophecy, that's about me. That's what I'm about. And so what was his message? What was his one sermon? Well, it contained four, at least four things, but for us, four things. Uh, first, y'all, Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor proclaim good news to the poor. You know, there's been a, a ton of debate over what exactly, what type of poverty Jesus is talking about. You know, is this good news of economic change? We're all going to get, like, we're all going to be better financially uh, or something else. And we know as you read the Bible, Jesus definitely addressed the impoverished. You know, we're called to, you know, to care for the poor. Uh, but exegetically, He's talking about another kind of poor here. It's the same words, the same type of poor he mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know, for many, the gospel isn't really good news because often we don't know how truly poor we are before the Lord. 
And we think, well, you know, fortune and fame, that that opens lots of doors for us in this life. Maybe, surely, fortune and fame will open doors for us in the kingdom of of heaven as well. But Jesus says, you couldn't be further from the truth. Y'all, when it comes to salvation, he says, your money's no good here. Um, And in fact, this has nothing to do with how little or how much you even have in your bank account. Um, This is a poor that understands that before the Lord not only are we so not enough, but like we, we've got nothing. So the word poor here means to become, or, or means to cower like a beggar, knowing that we have a debt that, that we can't pay. Like God might as well be, be saying millions of kajillions. I mean, it's like we can't pay that off. Um, and Jesus is saying when we get to, to the depths of our sin, and, and, and when we see our utter need of saving grace, when that happens, we finally see ourselves as we truly are for the first time. And we also get to see the gospel for the good news that it truly is for the first time. And, and so you see that you are a bottom-rung beggar whose only, like, only hope is Jesus. And Jesus said he is good news to the people who know that they don't got it, but he does. And so when it comes to salvation and following Christ, it is to, to sing and to mean every word of that hymn. And we've sing it a lot. It's like nothing in my hands I bring. I'm just here. Like, like simply to the cross, I cling. And you know, sometimes we get glimpses of our need, don't we? You know, we, you could call it like these little Holy Spirit moments in our lives. And a lot of us would trace these back to these are the moments where like some, you know, life change. Uh, these moments in our, our lives, you know, when, when I was diagnosed with cancer, um, God showed me, reminded me again of just how little control I had and how like, utterly dependent I am upon His grace. And, and we know that, but we're fickle, you know, fickle hearts, and we forget, and we need to be reminded again. Um, you know, a few weeks ago we marked 20 years uh, after 9-11, right? It's been 20 years, um, 9-11, Um you know, for those of you who are old enough, do you remember what church was like the Sunday after 9-11? Y'all remember that? Um, it was packed. You know, Chris Hodges is the pastor of Church of the Highlands in Alabama. And in early 2001, he, he was just planning his church. Of course, it's, it's a mega church now, but um, he was just planning the church. He said the first Sunday they had about 400. It's awesome. He said the next Sunday they had 200, the next Sunday they had 150, the next Sunday they had 100, and it was just dwindling every, every week. He said it was about to, be, it, to get to where it was just he and his family there at worship. And, um, but then 9-11 happened. And, and usually, uh, you know, the way church planning works, you like, you know, you'll meet at a school or meet at a, you know, some, you know, community center. Um, he said usually it was no problem fitting their small congregation into the 1,000-seat Mountain Brook High School Auditorium. But on the Sunday after 9-11, he said there was standing room only. People around the edges, people in the aisles, people standing. Uh, because for many, for the first time, people saw a glimpse of, of reality. I mean, they were struck with just how not in control they were, how helpless and how needy they were. And so I have to ask you, are you, are you aware of your need of Jesus? Um, is he beautiful to you? You know, it's like we're studying in Sunday school. Um, are, are you being wooed by his gentle and lowly posture towards his people? Because if you're not, it's very likely that pride or stubbornness or hard-heartedness has made you blind to just how truly poor you are 
before him. So Jesus comes to give good news that what he did on the cross is good news to the poor, that, that he gives riches of his righteousness to you. Uh, second, his, his sermon is, he says, Jesus proclaims liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. Uh, that word captive can, typically describes two things. One, it's, uh, uh, it's people who have sold themselves into slavery. You know, that by your own decision and your own doing, you can kind of get enslaved. So it's that, selling yourself into slavery. Or two, it's a, a word that's used to reference uh, prisoners of war. Um, people who have been captured by outside forces. But either way, what Jesus is pinpointing, something that we all know deep down, um, and it's what Gene read this morning, it's our slavery to, to sin. Um, and, and there are all sorts of traps, aren't there? All sorts of chains. You know, bondage, bondage to bitterness. You know, some of us wrestle with that. You know, it's like bitterness, skepticism, cynicism, it, just an inability or unwillingness to forgive and move on. We just can't do it. Or, or we're trapped by lust um, just in this cycle. We just can't get out. Uh, trapped by greed. You know, the, the, the Bible tells us that it's the love of money, the like dogged pursuit of money um, that is the, the root of all sorts of evil. Trapped by just love, craving of juicy gossip, we're trapped by what others think of us, trapped by envy, trapped by jealousy, trapped by the comparison trap, and on and on. We can just keep going, all the, all the chains. And, and we can feel hopeless and, and stuck thinking, well, is this my lot? I, I don't see another way out. Um, well, John Stott tells a story of this French soldier named, uh, what's his name, Louis Delcourt. Um, who was get, he soldier during World War I. He was given some leave to go back home and to visit his mother. And so he went back home, visited his mom. But then he decided not to go back. He, he didn't go back to, to war. Uh, he um, deserted. And so fearing what would happen if he was found out, he decided just to lock himself up in his mom's attic. He just, he just stayed up there. Um, he didn't come out for 21 years. Um, the entire time locked in the isolation of disgrace and fear. Um, but then after 21 years, his mother passed away. No one was there to, you know, to give him food or you know, um, water to keep him living. And so after 21 years, he came out, out of the attic, pale and haggard, staggered to the nearest police officer in you know, shame and guilt. And first police officer he could find to turn himself in. And then the police officer looked at him and told him, oh, haven't you heard? Look, they passed a law for amnesty for all deserters years ago. And all that time, imprisoned in his attic, freedom was there. He just didn't know it. And what's Mr. Like, okay, that is what Jesus came to tell you. That in him, amnesty has been passed. Like, you are no longer a slave. And as Gene read this morning, if the Son has set you free, then like, you are free indeed. Like, really? Or as we sang, he breaks the power of reigning sin, and he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed, which means like, it's there for the taking for me. See, so if you hear anything, know that Jesus came. He lived, he died, he rose so that you could be set free from the power of sin, and he invites you to walk it out. Come out of that attic in him. 
Third, and much more brief, Jesus came so that we could see. It's about sight, about seeing things as they really are. You know, Jesus healed a lot of blind people in his ministry, but really all of those healings were really a picture to us of what he does spiritually. That he wants us to see that, that spiritual blindness is a far greater problem than even physical blindness. That spiritual blindness has consequences not just in this life, but also in the one to come. And so it's just a call to ask God to open your eyes for the scales to fall off and for you to see that, yes, like you and me, like we are really big sinners. But Jesus is an even bigger Savior just to see that. And then, and then fourth, uh, the last little bit, Jesus came to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I, I love that last little bit. In that last little bit, he's talking about the Old Testament year called Jubilee. That's what Brian Finnegan read for us this morning. Uh, Jubilee was this really special year, special thing that happened once every 50 years. So back then, this is like once in a lifetime. Like once in a lifetime, there was this really special occasion where debts were forgiven, where people were freed, where things that you had been wronged, people paid you back. Things were made like they they should be. But here, Jesus is saying, what, what I'm here for like, isn't just for one really great day in your lifetime. But in me, he says, every day is jubilee. In Jesus, every day debts are canceled. Every day slaves are, are freed. Every day what was lost is found and restored. And, and I know it is tempting. I know it is it's tempting to hear all this and to kind of roll our eyes and, and to say, yeah, right. Uh, do you know what happened to me this week? And, and, and it's just wishful thinking. It's fairy tales. It's um, you know rainbows and butterflies. But no, like Jesus didn't come just to talk a good game. Jesus isn't here trying to sell us some you know cruddy extended warranty type thing. No, no, his his grace and and these promises are in no way cheap. Jesus came and he died and historically rose again. So that we could know that all of this is for real. Like, like, for real, for real. Which finally then brings us to the elephant in the room. You know, up to this point, maybe, hopefully it's easy to kind of, we're tracking. It's Jesus, good news to the poor. Okay, I, I get that. God saves our, you know, he meets our need. Saves us of our sins. Uh, he gives us freedom from the power of sin. Um, sight, good, it's good to see things. But what about the promise of freedom for those who are oppressed? You know, oppression is kind of like a present thing. You know, the Psalms are filled with cries from oppression. Uh, The Greek word for the word here for oppression is a word that we would use, abuse. Um, And it's just, here's the elephant in the room. Though we're saved in Christ, we've got some great promises, but we still live in a world filled with pain. Uh, we still have you know, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, physical abuse. You know, we go to jobs where coworkers bully us, manipulate us, uh, people take advantage of us, not to mention just the persecution that is here and, and that more is to come just for being a Christian. For like standing and saying like, no, I actually believe the, Bible, the biblical ethic of fill in the blank. Um, I heard this news article 
where last year in Pakistan they were having sewage issues in in the city and um, they needed people to go down into the sewers and by hand to unclog the drains. And uh, just a nasty, nasty job. And in the the, uh, the article, uh, they said that only Christians could apply for that job, that no regular Pakistani could be asked to do something that degrading. I mean, Christians are seen in, you know, in some parts of the world as less than human. Um, I don't know if I've shared this or not, but when, when I was in ninth grade, I mean, I'm like the typical ninth grader peon, you know, think you're hot stuff, but you ain't nothing. Um, Somehow I ended up playing special teams on the varsity team and varsity football team. I was leading a kickoff, kickoff return, punts, all those things. And um, this one particular game, there was this guy on the other team who saw my skinny self and is like, easy pickings, right? It's like, I'm going to be his highlight reel. Uh, pancake blocks. And so every, like, he targeted me every time, knocked me down, knocked me out of bounds, hit me while I'm down, step on me while I'm down. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget a, a senior on my team came up to me and asked me which, what number kept hitting me. And I, so I told him the number. And, uh, and it was like, I, I just loved it. It's like it was, it was that, senior's, it, that senior made it his mission to make that other player's night miserable. Like went after him every play. He went after him. You know, as, as Christians, um, we, we can feel like that. That we are just beat down, stepped on while we're down, hit out of bounds. Um, you know, there, there is no targeting calls when people, you know, target Christians. Um, you know, we, we can feel persecuted, misrepresented, misunderstood, oppressed, and abused uh, in many, many ways. And, and we wonder, in our, you know, hopefully in our more sober days, we wonder, like, will anybody stand up? Like, is there anybody strong enough? That, will anybody get my back? Right the wrongs, bring justice. Can anyone say, what number keeps hitting you? The answer is yes, yes. You know, the book of Revelation, God gave the Apostle John a vision of what is to come. And so if you are in Christ, this this is your future. John recorded, says, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges, and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, We're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name that's written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So yes, He is strong enough to crush the oppressor. He is strong enough to trample your abuser, to silence your accuser. Um, You know, the the hymn, the battle hymn of the Republic, right? It's a hymn that some churches sing in kind of more patriotic settings, I suppose. Um, But that was a hymn that was written really in the face of oppression. It was a cry of oppression. 
out of oppression. And its first stanza is a reflection of that passage we just read. The, the, the author of the hymn writes, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. And what's the response to knowing that we have a Redeemer and that we have someone who will come and say, give me his number? The response is glory, glory, hallelujah. The response is praise. So that's it, y'all. That's Jesus' one sermon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you come and that you set us free. Uh, Lord, that you preach good news, that you give us sight. Um, And Lord, that though we are oppressed and we're hurting, this is not the end for us. That there's coming a day where you will right all wrongs, all abuse, all oppression will be ended. Uh, But Lord, until that day comes, you've you've given us promises to live on and uh, to hang our hats on. Uh, Lord, you've given us sacraments that are that are signs and seals of these great promises. And Lord, now as we come to your table to celebrate such a sign, a seal, um, we ask that you would take these normal elements, that you would set them apart to be a means of your grace to your people. May we leave here encouraged. Uh, May we leave here convicted of our sins and comforted uh, in grace. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.